Proverbs 22, and let's look at verse 1. I'm just preaching from one verse. I'm going to lay a foundation from this one verse this morning. The Bible says this, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor than silver and gold. Since we only read one verse, I want to read it one more time. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than than silver and gold. Father, I pray you would bless the reading of your word today. Speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Well, such a great morning this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that I'm here. Glad that we're all here together. Not a place I would rather be. Uh, this morning, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to start a, a brand new series. I've been praying about this. This has kind of been in the, the recesses of my heart for the last few uh, weeks on, on what to kind of do next, where to kind of go from here. And um, uh, the Lord just dropped one word into my heart, and that was the word legacy. Everybody say legacy. Just one word he's placed in my heart, and that is legacy. And the Lord began to talk to me about the legacy that we leave behind. I don't know if you know this or realize this, but all of us are leaving behind a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? So this morning and over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you some resources, some tools um, that will help you in legacy building. And you may be here this morning and say, Pastor Brad, my life has been completely ruined up until this point. The great thing is if you're still alive, you have opportunity to change the end of your story. Amen? That's the greatness of the gospel of redemption. God gives us all of these chances. And so this morning, out of Proverbs chapter 21, I want to talk to you from the subject, a good name. Can you say that with me? A good name. Now, throughout the years, I have referenced to many of you, there are very, very, very many people who have made a profound impact upon my life. Uh, people that I have had the opportunity to, to hang out with, to be mentored by, to, to allow to, to pour into my life so that I could grow into the person that God has called me to. But one of those people who made such a profound impact upon my life was my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother uh, was a godly woman, and my great-grandfather died when I was about three years old. So other than him dedicating me to the Lord as a baby, I don't have a lot of memories. I've got a lot of pictures, though, and surely the, the impact that he had on my life was more than I know as well. But my great-grandmother made a great impact upon my life. She, uh, my, my grandmother uh, had many kids. My great-grandmother had many kids. So consequently, they had a lot of grandkids and a lot of great-grandkids. How many of you know that makes Christmas time kind of stressful around the house? Amen? Especially in such a materialistic society where pressure mounts up and you feel like you have to buy everything, everybody something and nobody's left out. And anybody understand the pressure that I'm talking about this morning is very, very profound. 
But my great-grandmother, she didn't have a lot of money. She lived on a fixed income. She tithed until the day she died. She loved God, but she lived on a very fixed income, very little. But what she had, she used it wisely. And so at, at Christmas time and birthdays and things of that nature, you weren't getting an iPad or an Xbox for one reason. They weren't out there like 30-something years ago. But uh, anyway, you weren't getting these elaborate big gifts from her. But it was the small sentimental things that really mattered. There are two things that my grandmother, great-grandmother gave me as a young man that I still, I only have one of them. I'm really unfortunate that one I can't find, but one of them I still have. And that one thing is a giant king-size quilt that she made for every grandkid out of scrap material. It looks uglier than anything you can ever imagine. It is ugly. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's ugly. But if you were in a blizzard or you were trapped in a car on the side of the road in negative eight degrees, that's the blankets you wanted. I mean, it was great. It was made with love. It was made with prayer. And uh, I mean, none of the, the, the squares matched because it was all patchwork. But we know for a fact that great-grandma Lucille, she prayed over that whenever she was making those things. And she was speaking the blessing and she was imparting her faith into her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. That made an impact on me. There's one other thing that she gave me that made an impact on me. One Christmas, uh, she gave all of us uh, grand and great-grandkids the same gift. Uh, matter of fact, I believe that she kept the little small Bible bookstore in our town, uh, or in the next town over rather, in business because she bought them out almost every Christmas time. And they had this small little rack right up beside the cash register and it had bookmarks. Anybody remember those really nice Bible bookmarks that are laminated with the friends on the end of it? Well, great-grandma gave those to all of us. And what she did was she had them, if they didn't have our names, she had them custom-made and ordered with every grandkid's name on one side, and it, and it showed you the origin of your name what your name, your first name, what it meant, what it came from, what was the symbolism, what was the scriptural aspect behind it. And then on the back of that bookmark was this verse, Proverbs 21, verse 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. It's one of the things that I remember very vividly in my mind because my great-grandmother, one of the things that she harped on each and every one of our kids was not only um, coming to church and being faithful, and not only uh, she didn't believe in divorce, she believed you need to pick who you marry and, and pick them wisely because you were bound to them for life. And she also said that it was important for you to maintain your integrity because you can buy a lot of things. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You can buy a house, you can buy a car, you can buy an RV, you can buy all of those things, but there's one thing in this earth that you cannot buy that is for sure, and that is a good name. A good name is something that is developed over time. Now, I have a unique perspective that many of you in this room do not have. Uh, there are probably five or six of us in this room who, um, who can say what I'm about to say from the same perspective as somebody standing on the platform. Now, in the last 17 years, I have lost track of how many funerals I have officiated. 
I have officiated the funerals of babies, infants, um, teenagers, um, old folks, everywhere in between. I have officiated funerals of everything. One thing we do know, death is not discriminatory. It comes to everybody unless Jesus comes, is appointed to man, wants to die, and then the judgment. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Um, and there's one commonality in all of those funeral services. You want to know what it is? Here it is. It's something called a eulogy. A eulogy, by definition, is that, that piece of information. It's a written speech or a prose or whatever you want to say that is written to uh, commemorate and memorialize the person who is being buried, the person who has deceased. Now, I know all of us know this, but let me remind you, the funeral is not for the deceased. Are you still here? They're already gone. Wherever they're going, they're already gone. The funeral is to minister to and to love and honor the, the memory of those who have passed away. It's a form of closure. But in this memorial process, whether it be in a funeral home or a church or the graveside or whatever it be, there's a commonality. Everybody always gets up and they say a few words about the person who is about to be buried or they, maybe they've already been cremated or whatever it is. But I begin to think about this because as I do this over and over again, you know, the more you do something, you can kind of begin to become numb to it. But honestly, I begin to think, what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? And I begin to envision, if I were to die before Jesus came back and a preacher was standing on the platform and were having to say something about my life, what would I want them to say? I begin to think about it. Because you know those types of fun those funerals. People get up and they say, oh, mama, you know, she was faithful to God. She was a woman of prayer. People get up about their daddy and they say he was a generous person. Other people, they said, you know, I wake up, I woke up every morning as a kid and I heard my mama praying over us. They said, you know, my daddy was a hard worker. He was the most faithful employee that his company ever had. Dad always led us by example. You get the point. We all want people to remember us by the good that we have left behind in this life. But I got to be honest with you this morning. There have been some funerals, not that I have preached, but that I have attended where I have known the said deceased person. And upon listening to the eulogy, I began to wonder if I was at the wrong place. I'm not, you say, oh, Pastor Bray, you shouldn't judge. I'm not judging, but listen, a tree is known by the fruit that they bear. I have been in funerals where I knew the person died on drugs, they beat their wife, kicked their dog, whatever. And I mean, you would have thought they were right up there by St. Peter. Now, they might be. They might have repented before they died. I don't know. But the point that I'm trying to say is, I don't want my legacy to be questioned. I want to leave a legacy that is passed down from generation to generation so that my family has something honorable to strive for and to look forward to because I believe that's what God has called us to do.
Amen. Are you with me this morning? This is not a typical Pastor Brad type of sermon, but I just want to help you realize this is vitally important. The book of Proverbs is our text work today. Now, Proverbs was primarily written by Solomon. There are a couple of other Proverbs where he references who they were from, but uh, Solomon primarily wrote the book of Proverbs and left it as a book of instruction or wisdom so that his sons and those that would come behind them would be able to glean and read from the wisdom that he had. Now, if you're a really big Bible person and you have already read the book of Proverbs, uh, let me encourage you to jump to Ecclesiastes because Solomon had some mess-ups in his life. He was the wisest person aside from Christ, the Bible says, who ever walked the face of the earth. But Solomon had some issues. He liked women. He had many wives and concubines and many things. And, and in his old age, he begins to look back, and the book of Ecclesiastes begins to show us the condition of the human heart and shows us some of his regrets, some of the things that he wishes he wouldn't have done. And, and it really helps us to be able to look at the picture and try to govern our our lives, okay? So, now, I, wanna, I want to preface that because in the book of Proverbs, Solomon gives us practical wisdom in every single aspect of life, every single aspect. Solomon deals with marriage. He deals with how to pay your bills, getting in debt. He talks about sexuality. Solomon talks about lying and keeping your word. He talks about co-signing somebody's debt. He talks about all types of stuff. And I believe it's advantageous for us as believers to look at this and learn to apply the wisdom to our lives. Now, one person said years ago that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. But I heard a preacher say one time that a proverb a day keeps the stupid away. Amen. Amen? Amen? Come on, can you say that with me? A proverb a day keeps the stupid away. Look at your neighbor, tell them don't be stupid. Now, you think that's a bad, horrible word. The Bible actually says that if you don't like correction, you're stupid. That is the King James Version. He says it. It's in there, black and white. So, so the one thing to be ignorant, ignorant means you don't know. Stupid means you're just stupid. Amen. So don't be stupid. One you can fix, the other I'm not sure about. So um, Solomon begins to give us some practical wisdom on how to, to live our life. But if a proverb a day keeps the stupid away, and there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. I've done this for years, and sometimes I do it all the time. Sometimes I take a break from it, and I pick it back. But over the last 17 years in ministry, plus the years before ministry, I've included this in my Bible study time. You know, there, in the average month, there are 31 days. Now, obviously, there are some that have 29, 30, whatever. But um, most months have 31 days. Uh, days. So, wouldn't it be cool that if you woke up on August the 3rd or whatever it is, you read Proverbs 3 for the day, and before you know it, you have gone through the book of Proverbs over and over and over again, and hopefully, it'll keep a lot of stupid away from your life. Amen. Because he deals with it in great context and really doesn't relent. So, this morning, uh, as I was looking at this, uh, there's so much that I could gain and glean to give to you about creating a legacy and leaving behind a good name, but I've chosen just to pick five. Now, there's not just five, but I want to give you the five top ones that I've seen 
that all of us, I think if we start with these five, then we can start walking towards creating a better legacy to leave behind. You ready for that? All right, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, if you want to leave a good legacy and have a good name, you've got to walk in wisdom. You've got to walk in wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 reads like this. My son, if you receive my words and you treasure my commandments within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom, And apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and will find the knowledge of God. Here's what I want you to know this morning, all of us. You can write this down in your side notes. God wants to bless you with wisdom and knowledge. God wants to bless you with wisdom and knowledge. We have this kind of uh, uh, understanding that somehow God is withholding something from us that He doesn't want us to understand. And there are some mysteries that we'll never understand till we get to glory. All of us have run across those complexities. But I want to remind you that James wrote in his book in chapter 1, verse 5, that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask from God. And God will give him generously and will not upbraid. He will give it to him in a full measure, one translation says. God does not want to withhold wisdom from you. He wants you to walk in wisdom. But I want you to notice what Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 2. He says, son, if you receive my words. Somebody say, if you receive my words. See, you can hear the word, but you got to receive the word. There are a lot of people week after week, they come to church and they hear the Word, but they don't receive it because it, 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 sometimes God's Word offends our flesh, right? Proverbs goes in here and talks about, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen and this is the result of that. And, you know, sometimes when God begins to deal with us based on the things and the decisions that we've made, we can allow ourselves to get a little bit puffed up in pride and uh, say, well, you know, whatever, and kind of disregard that information. But he says you've got to receive his word and you've got to treasure his commands. You've got to incline your ear to listen to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. He says, lift up your heart for understanding. Then I love this. He says, and search for her as hidden treasures. Let me ask you a question. If um, a land survey company uh, came to you and they said, you know, um, we just want to inform you that you didn't know this when you purchased this land, but somebody has dug years and years and years ago Uh, and placed within the ground a million dollars in a safety deposit box. And and technically, it doesn't belong to you, but they said if you'll go find it, they'll give you half of it. Some of y'all already left to the car to go get the shovel. I mean, (laughs) fast as you can go. I mean, you're digging and you're looking and you're, man, I got to find it. 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 I have to, I have to get this treasure. And Solomon says that that when we're searching for the wisdom of God, we've got to search for it like it's a hidden treasure that deals with the hunger of our heart to want to know God, to want to know His ways, to want to know His wisdom, so that we, when we come against situations in life, we're not operating in our own wisdom, but we're walking in the wisdom of God. 
Here's what I want to tell you. If you walk in the wisdom of God, you will not walk in the ways of man. When you walk in the wisdom of God, you will not walk in the ways of man. And guess what will happen? You'll begin to consequently make good decisions. And guess what? Every decision that we make in life is adding to our legacy. Our, our goals and attributes that we obtain tomorrow are due to the decisions that we make today. And we walk towards those things, and we begin to realize that we are leaving a legacy. See, because God sees the end of a thing from the beginning. And I told you, I said, I, I envisioned myself, you know, what if somebody was doing my funeral? And I said, what would I want them to say about me? Well, what that allows me to do while I'm still living is to work backwards and to work on the things that I want to be remembered by. I want to be remembered by being a compassionate person, a loving person, a, a passionate person. I want, to, I want to be known as a good husband, as a generous person, as a prayer warrior. All of those things, but we will never live in those things without working towards them. Y'all, I used to have this t-shirt. It was orange. I wish I still had it. It had a sign on the back. My wife's laughing. On the back of it, it said, live your life so the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. Amen. <laughs> Listen, now I, I don't lie at people's funeral, but I've been to a few. Let me just say. All right. So, number one, walk in wisdom. Number two, you ready for this one? How do you create a good name and leave a legacy? You have to honor God with your stuff. When you honor God in every area of your life, your life comes into alignment, it comes into order, and then you position yourself to be able to deal with legacy. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Notice what the writer writes. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Solomon, in the middle of all of his wisdom, he tells them, he says, you, if you want to prosper, you want to grow, you want to leave something behind, he said, you need to honor the Lord with your stuff, with your possessions, and the first fruits of all of your increase. What does that mean? The first portion. The first fruits is a, is a concept that came from the Bible where uh, in the agricultural uh, culture, before they would harvest um, all of their field, they would take the first portion and they would offer it to the Lord. The principle is that the first that is sanctified and set apart, when it's offered to God, it blesses the remaining. It secures the upcoming harvest. See, the problem is a lot of times people don't have a legacy focus. They have a right now focus. And when you have a right now focus, you don't focus on what you're leaving behind to the next generation. You say, well, I don't want to leave behind anything for the next generation. They can just, they can just do it themselves. Well, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, our ceiling ought to be their floor. Let me give you Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man. Somebody say a good man. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. 
What does that mean? That means that uh, uh, this uh, wealth that people have that are wicked people, they're not going to get to keep it. But the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance. Now, an inheritance isn't just monetarily, but certainly it can include it. We've got to leave a legacy that lasts beyond us. I'm just going to tell you, it would be tragic to work 70 years of your life and have nothing to leave behind and show for it. Now, for some of us, that may be like, whew, that's tough, but it's something for us to work toward. And I believe when you put God first, he puts you in a position to be able to leave a legacy. Here's the third one. Are you ready? Number three, if you want to have a good name, tell the truth. Tell the truth. We could say it like this, don't lie. Amen. When's the last time you heard a good sermon online? Probably been a while, hadn't it? Well, let me tell you what Proverbs 13, 5 says. A righteous man hates lying. A righteous man hates lying. But a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. You know one thing that will ruin your reputation and your integrity quicker than anything is being dishonest. It's being dishonest. And there are some people who are such professional liars that they believe the lie themselves. They're psychopathic liars, habitual liars, and, and they, they lie, they embellish. Every time they tell a story, it gets a little bit bigger. The fish was this big, then it's this big, then it's this big, then it was a shark. I mean, come on. You know, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But you know, if you want to leave a legacy, start off by being honest. Being honest about your life, being honest about the things that you're doing, being honest about your endeavors. Tell the truth. It means tell the truth in your relationships. It means tell the truth on your tax return. Come on, somebody. It means tell the truth on anything in your life because lying is misrepresentation. Misrepresentation. Let me tell you, there are two things that people say they can't stand, and I understand. There are two things that, that just whew, get all over me. It's a liar and a thief. I don't like to be stolen from. You feel violated. And the reason why we feel violated when somebody lies to us is because they violate our trust. And let me tell you, I try to ingrain this into my kids and to anybody that I can. Trust, once it's lost, it can be regained, but it's difficult. Tell the truth. Even if it puts you in a bad light, tell the truth, even if it's going to cost you. Listen, I've learned this the hard way. Listen, last Wednesday night, I gave you some confession for the soul. If you were in here, you just need to go back and listen. I confess all my sins on Wednesday night. I'm telling you, I'm impatient at times. I have a lead foot. I've got more warnings and and tickets than you can probably imagine. But anyway, um, um, you know, the Bible says, don't, don't, uh, don't be hasty doing the king's business. I, I need to learn to slow down. That's what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. But how many times, now we're going to see how honest you are. I'm looking this morning. How many times have you been cruising just a little too fast? I ain't through yet, but I appreciate your honesty. Um, You've been cruising just a little too fast. You know, it's 65, you're going 75. You know, my dad always said, you know, that you can do five over. There are police officers here. Don't correct me. Tell me after church. But, you know, go the speed limit. You're safe. So they said, all right, 
going a little bit too fast, and then those blue lights come on. And then all of a sudden, officer, you know, pulls you over. You're nervous. Your palms are sweaty. And they say, do you know you were speeding? No, officer, I didn't know. <laughs> the devil is a liar. You knew. Nine, well, maybe not every time. Nine times out of ten, you know. And you know what? I've just started being honest. I'm sorry, officer. I'm tired. I was just trying to get home. And you know what? That goes further than trying to lie. Come on, somebody. You know? Um, sometimes, you know, you plan things or something of that nature, and you forget. Rather than trying to make up some big elaborate excuse, just say, I forgot. I'm sorry. Tell the truth, because the truth shall set you free. Amen. It's important. Tell the truth. Here's number four. You ready? Number four, if you want to have a good legacy, number four, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Proverbs 14, 23, Solomon read, wrote this. He said, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. You know what Solomon was saying in modern-day English? Talk is cheap. Don't be lazy. If you want to change the future, you got to get up and do something. You got to get up and do something. You know, you say, Pastor Brad, but I came from this kind of family. I came from this side of the tracks. I came from this socioeconomical status. I came from all of these things. Well, guess what, my friend? You can be the changer in your family. You don't have to go the same direction. You can make new tracks. You can blaze new trails. You can do great things for God, but nothing will happen if you're lazy. Man, I want to hammer this so hard. I talked to so many people today, young people that want to go into ministry, and I'm like, but you're being lazy. What are you doing with what you're doing? You know, whenever God called somebody in the Scripture to do something for him, he always found somebody busy. David was in the shepherd's field. Moses was tending Jethro's sheep. But the, the disciples were fishing. They might have not been doing the right thing, but they were busy. God doesn't bless laziness. Amen. When, when, when my legacy comes, when I leave this world, but by the way, legacy is something you leave behind after you die. I don't want them to say, well, he was a fat old bum who played video games all day and wouldn't get out of bed and work. Come on, somebody. Come on. This is just the book of Proverbs. It's not even that bad, guys. But don't be lazy. If a man won't work, he won't eat. If you want something, get up and change it. Man, if you want to change, get up and do something great for God. Here's number five. If you want to leave a legacy, you have to invest in the next generation. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to I I say something right here that stood out to me. I've never seen it just like this, but it stood out to me this week. He, he didn't say, train up your child. He said, train up a child. Because there's some people in this room, you don't have kids. You've never had kids. Maybe, maybe your kids are all gone. But listen, we still all have a part to play in investing in the next generation. Amen? 
God is a generational God. Go back to the Old Testament to the very beginning. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Paul begins to commend Timothy, I don't know where his, uh, his uh, dad and, 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 and grandfather was, but he says, I saw this faith in you, in your mother and your grandmother. God is a legacy God. He, he is about generations being passed down from generation to generation to generation. And you know what? I've just determined rather than to complain about the next generation, well, they look different, they smell different, they sound different, they worship different. How about we just invest in the next generation so that there's a legacy to be left behind? Come on, somebody. I talked about this on Wednesday night. Investing in the next generation is investing our faith. Do they see us worship? Do they see us give? Do they, sh do they see us show up at Serve Saturday? Do they see us getting in a small group? Do they see us do those things? Because a lot, listen, we train more than just in a classroom setting. I don't know if you've forgotten this truth or not. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. You ready? Monkey see, monkey do. You teach more by example than you do by instruction. That doesn't mean instruction is not important, because it is important. But when you say one thing and you do another thing, a kid is always going to do what you do and not what you say. If you want to leave a legacy, you've got to learn to invest in the next generation. I'm closing with these thoughts. What does that look like? I believe it looks like every one of us, starting with our own families, starting with the kids in our neighborhood, starting with the kids in our church, and investing in them, pouring our life into them so that they have something of eternal significance when they die. You know, I was thinking about, about Ann Hill the other day, how, you know, her and Roscoe never had kids of their own, but you know, her house, their front porch, their swimming pool, there were always kids over at their house. Sharing wisdom and sharing life and sharing things. See, when I'm talking about leaving a legacy, I'm... It's, yeah, obviously we're in church this morning, and obviously the focus is spiritual. If you don't leave behind a spiritual legacy, you've really missed the main point. But it's not just the spiritual part, but it's everything else that comes along with it. And some of you ladies make the best food for church dinners. But when you die, I need you to have told somebody how to make that apple pie. Amen. Hallelujah. It's the little things in life that we have to pass on so that we can continue our legacy. One of the greatest things, parents, grandparents, listen to me. One of the greatest things that our kids can ever say about us, one of the greatest things that they can ever say about us when we die is that I serve the God of my father. I serve the God of my mother. I left a legacy of faith. That's important.
How does that start? That starts by reading the Bible in your home. It starts by praying with your kids. It starts with bringing them to church. But pastor, they don't want to come. They don't want to go to school either, but you don't give them a choice. And let me tell you what, if you give them a choice, aside from homeschool, DHS is showing up at your house for neglect. And I'll tell you what's more neglectful than, than not letting your kids go to school is being a Christian parent and not bringing them, bringing them, I didn't say drop off, bringing them to the house of God. It starts with the little things. And then all of a sudden, you've created a legacy. A legacy of faith. Stand up on your feet with me this morning. Hallelujah. Goes without reservation, but let me say this this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, not because we're ashamed, but because I don't want you distracted. Please, nobody leaving. The food will be cold when you get there. Let's listen for just a moment. None of what I said matters today if you don't know Jesus. Jesus. 